At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. Welcome back to the call-up. It is Baltimore Orioles farm system time. It's that time of year, right? We finally get the season over with, even though it was a ton of fun. But now it's time to really dive in to all of these top tens for every single farm system. And why not start with one of the most loaded systems in baseball, the Baltimore Orioles. Jack, welcome back after a little bit of a uh, reprieve from talking to me on this show. Yeah, well, that was your volition. Uh, you were the one that said you're suspended. We're mm-hmm. not talking for two weeks. Um, we haven't buried the hatchet of our our argument that will go undisclosed right now. But um, no, I'm making shit up. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to remember. I was like, what did we do? What did I do? Yeah, no, I'm making shit up. You went to the Arizona Fall League. You had a bunch of interviews and I had Maxions. So I was like, hey, this makes sense if you just pump out some interviews. So, yeah, I'm excited. I think you can honestly take one of off that. I think that the Orioles, in terms of the top 10, might have the best farm system in baseball. Who's the only? It's probably Baltimore at this point. Baltimore, um, the Dodgers and the Guardians. And I think yep. that's it because a lot of the guys with Seattle have graduated. Oh, yeah. Seattle's really a shell it. of what it was, which is Cincinnati. Fine. Speaking of Cincinnati. which, Noelvi Marte and company, Edwin Arroyo, Cincinnati. So Cincinnati's good. top four, Baltimore, the Dodgers, the Guardians and the Reds. Yep. And we start with one of the top four. Well, and what's amazing with this Baltimore team, and you know, we start with the the names to watch outside of the top 10 is, you know, I, I really was reminded as I dive back into the system, how deep it is. And I probably don't even have enough time to go through all the names to watch for time purposes. We are going to fly through each of these guys. I'm going to list them all. And then you're going to add a little bit on the guys that you want to talk about so that we don't spend 10 minutes going on each of the other names to watch them. We're 30 minutes in and we haven't gotten to number 10 yet. Also a reminder that you can keep up with all of these top prospects write-ups. The link is in the description and you can read all of that at justbaseball.com to see all the individual grades and all of that kind of stuff. So names to watch guys that just missed the top 10, Seth Johnson, right-handed pitching prospect was acquired in that Trey Mancini deal. It was a three-team trade. He came over from the Rays. Johnson was set to undergo Tommy John surgery. So he's out for all of next year, but he's extremely talented one of the best fastballs in the minor leagues. That's not hyperbolic. After the trade, I dove into it. 
Really impressive fast pod. Give it an easy 70 grade, mid 90s, crazy induced vertical break, wipeout slider. Johnson is the third most talented pitching prospect in this system. Dylan Beavers, 33rd overall pick this past year in the draft. Beavers, probably one of the toolsiest college guys. He's outfielder uh, out of that class. Potential for a rare blend of power and speed. We'll have to see how consistent the hit tool is. Joey Ortiz, maybe one of the most underrated prospects in this system. Shortstop prospect who went nuclear in the second half. In his last 74 games, hit 352, 416, 610. Tapped into some power. He's got above average raw power, but lifts the ball really effectively and is a good glove at shortstop. Hudson Haskin had a really nice year as well. Outfield prospect that continues to climb pretty quickly. Judd Fabian, outfield prospect who was... Interesting situation for him. You know, he was his early second round pick, right? Or earlier than that by the Red Sox in 2021. Doesn't sign competitive round B. Yeah. Yeah. Competitive round B 40th overall, if I'm not mistaken. Ultimately decides to go back to UF, bet bet on himself. He had a good year at UF, but not enough to quell some of those swing and miss concerns. Go 67th overall to the Orioles. I still have big swing and miss concerns with him, but he's got big time power. And then Chase McDermott, another one. Uh, Acquired also with Seth Johnson in that deal. Chirp, chirp, ball state guy. I'm sure that's going to be the one guy you add who had like a five, five, six ERA. That's who you're going to be talking about as I finally end this. There's other names that are notable, but you know, we only have so much time. McDermott, mid nineties, fastball plus slider floor of a reliever, but he seems to be maybe closer to that floor. Yeah. So uh, I actually wasn't going to add anything on Chase McDermott because when we were initially talking, I said, who are the honorable mentions? And I listed off like 10 names and they were not Chase McDermott because I knew that he had a five and a half ERA this year. So I would not have been upset if you left him off. I do think he's a reliever. I think he has the chance to be a good reliever. Seth Johnson, I really like that you mentioned that. Dude's got that Tampa Bay fastball, man. He came from Tampa. He's got that Tampa Bay fastball. Uh, And then the two college outfielders I really want to point to here. Dylan Beavers is a guy that slugs like crazy. And he Mm -hmm. shows up in pro ball and in a very small taste. I think he hit like 320 across 23 games. What was he slashed? Here we go. 23 games. Played three games in rookie ball. 16 in low A. Four in high A. Slashed 322. 438, 460. And this is a guy that hit under 300 in college. That's a little worrisome. You want your best college hitters hitting over 300 in college, but I'll take 291 with a 427 OBP and a 634 slug any day of the week. This guy's got some juice and playing in the Pac-12. Berkeley's not like it's playing on the moon. Berkeley's actually a pretty normal environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Jed Fabian. Yeah, he's got some swing and miss concerns, but doesn't really swing that much. Like, no, and that's, is- I think that's that's the best way for him, right? We talk about Will Benson and and how he's hedged a lot of those those whiff issues with just not swinging as much, being yeah. a mistake hitter and taking your walks. That's probably how Judd Fabian blossoms into you know a, a bit more consistent offensive force. So of the guys that we just mentioned, and Joey Ortiz, I like that you brought him up. What I will say is he's already twenty four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so he's but cooked. yes, exactly. Um, who, who from Valdez? He was cooked, right? He yeah. was signed. He was in the Dominican Summer League as a 22 year old, cooked. Um, but no, I, out of those position players that we mentioned, um, I think Beavers and Fabian have the best chance to be steady big leaguers. And I think Beavers has an exponentially better chance than Jed Fabian does. I, I like Beavers a lot more than Fabian. There's a reason why we saw him drafted so early, right? Compared to, to where Fabian ends up going, right? But um, I would say Ortiz is the highest floor of the bunch. I really like the glove. That was where I, when I dove in, he's going to be an above average defender at short, but could be that super utility guy. 
19 home runs last year, only struck out at about a 15% clips, maybe closer to 16% clip. And again, that second half really went crazy. And that was between double and triple A. So I like Ortiz a lot. I think Beavers has the highest ceiling and most likelihood of, of all those tools, you guys to reach that ceiling. And it's a really fun crop. Uh, I'm going to get this out of the way now before we get into the top 10. A lot of these guys should be trade chips that we're talking about here because there's a very young and exciting core with ample control in Baltimore. And the guys at the top of this list are transcendent talent prospects. Yep. We're talking about two of the four best prospects in baseball. And then there's not that much of a drop off when we talk about three through six or three through seven in this organization here. You can make the argument that they have seven or eight top 100 guys in this system. So once you get out of that, a guy like Dylan Beavers, if someone calls and says, Hey, we would like Beavers and Joey Ortiz for a big league starter. You say, where can I sign? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the crazy thing is, you know, we'll get to these other guys right now, but as I've been floating, you know, trade conversations and uh, especially with the, the Marlins contingency on my Twitter, talking about Pablo Lopez trade packages, Orioles fans really don't want to part with any of these guys. And I get it because they've been surviving the rebuild. And when you get to the tail end of the rebuild, you get attached to a lot of these prospects. And you know, that that seems to be the trend of, of not wanting to part with those guys. An interesting one to start with at number 10 and somebody that if he has a good year this year, I could absolutely see him being a trade chip. But right now, you know, there's no way that the Orioles are going to sell low on him and a testing curse dad who I think for us that might, he might be a little bit lower than you know, maybe some of the other publications and where they have him. And I'll, I'll admit, you know, Hessen Kerstad, outfielder, they use the number two overall pick in 2020, under slot guy in that spot, but still was viewed as one of the best bats in the draft, period. It's been a tough draw for him, right? I mean, it's just so nice to see him on the field, period. And we've talked a little bit about him and we talked about him in the fall league preview of just myocarditis, inflammation of the heart, very scary, very concerning. It, baseball becomes an afterthought, but Kerstad's healthy. He's back on the field. It took some time for him to, you know, fully get strong and comfortable again. He took a lot of BP, got himself back into game shape. He demolished low A pitching and then struggled against high A pitching. I think it's unfair to make any crazy conclusions because this guy didn't play since his abbreviated college season in 2020. So we're talking about not really playing live in games for two years, let alone actually being ill, like just not physically healthy. Correct. So there's, there's a lot that that needed to go right for him in terms of just being able to get back on track last year. I don't give a shit about the numbers overall, but what I do care about is, is just some of the small like underlying with things that were concerns, even at college. Now in the fall league, the powers come back. He's hit two home runs, 110 miles an hour. He has really shown that, but there's still some whiff there. There's moving parts. It's an unorthodox swing, but I'm not going to draw any major conclusions with wise until we let this guy get some time, right? He's he, he, yes, he's 23, but throw the age out with somebody like this because he's only had about 200 professional plate appearances and it's going to take some time. He's going to be a late debut guy, but I got to preach patience with him because if it all comes together, he's a 30 plus home run threat. Correct. Um, there's a reason this guy went to, even if it was an under slot deal for Baltimore, there's a reason that he went to, and we're going to talk about another guy that went under slot in the top five. There's a reason he was a top five pick. But yeah, man, I, I think he hit the nail on the head. Heston Kerstad has 284 minor league appearances, and that was after a, a one-year and, and three-month hiatus. And there's something different about dealing with myocarditis versus dealing with a torn ACL or yeah. dealing with a busted ankle because 
you can be in a boot, you can be on those scooters, and you can still take swings off the tee. You can still work on hand-eye coordination. You really want to be careful if you're dealing with something like the hearts. I mean, the <laughs> hearts and the yeah, it's super important. Like you need that thing beating in order to live mm-hmm. and in order to play baseball and support your family. So, um, yeah, man, I I do think that there's a major difference here. It is so awesome to see him back on the ball field. And Christian Crespo, one of our newest writers at Just Baseball, he put together a heat sheet in the Arizona Fall League. Guess who's hot? Heston Kerstad yeah. hitting 350 with a thousand OPS in 21 games in the Arizona Fall League. And and that's a great sign. It's a great sign in the power. He's striking out again. And that's I think he's gonna go to double A next year. Might start in high A. And there's going to be some some growing pains. That's fine. Let's be patient. Let's work through it. And let's just let him get those at-bats and work through, you know, some of the little issues he has with his swing that we're going to probably get exposed in the professional ranks anyways. Uh, looking forward to just seeing him get those consistent ABs and continue to build on that. Velo did blow him up. So that's something to, to watch. And I, I assume just getting fully, fully back with his legs under him will, will be a big way to be able to catch up to that Velo. Yeah. Just edging him out at number nine is Kyle Stowers, outfield prospect, who was very close to graduating and, and put up great numbers at the big league level for a guy that was making his debut uh, under pressure too. He when he was called up, it was for a team that was making a surprising playoff push and he had some clutch hits. He put up some really solid numbers and I really am buying the, the breakout from Stowers. He put up consistently good minor league numbers throughout his career, but the whiffs were, you know, extremely concerning. And we didn't know if that was going to be something that continuously held him back. Was he a plus hit tool guy last year? Absolutely not. But his strikeout rate was the lowest of his career. Even when he got up to the major leagues, kept the strikeout rate just a hair under 30%. And you look at all of the underlying numbers, chase rate was the lowest of his career. Zone contact was the best of his career, producing still some of the best exit velos that we've seen. I think actually the highest exit velos of his career. And it's no surprise that he had the most extra base hits he's had. So this is a guy that I think really put it together in his age 24 minor league season. He's got a beautiful swing from the left side, toned down some moves. And I think has really found that success in quieting things down and still having the power. So he's still got a little bit of a leg kick, and that's okay. He taps into something here. I think it's a really pretty swing, but that's as far as my swing analysis goes. It is. What do you see in it? I mean, you talk about the leg kick. It used to be even more dramatic, and it used to be straight upright. So it was a lot of moving things that he had to repeat to get to where he needed to be. Now he's a little bit more in his legs, a little bit quieter leg kick. And he's so athletic. He's a really sneaky athlete. He played a lot of center field last year. You can really see it through his swing. He can get to tough pitches. He can stay through tough pitches. And I think that's what he's leaned into to turn into at least, you know, a fringe average hitter, which is all he needs, producing some of the best exit velos in the entire system, which is really important. And he can be an above average defender in either corner, play center field in a pinch, was competent against lefties as well. There's a lot of things to like here. I really think he's an above average big leaguer. I I would be willing to bet on him consistently being an above average big leaguer in in 34 games. He was that last year. So I don't know how he fits into their long-term plans. Could be a trade chip as we talked about, but this is a guy that I think showed a lot last year and forced his way into the Orioles, either long-term plans or into being somebody else's long-term plan. Can I give you a take? Yes. I think he's the opening day left fielder for the Baltimore Orioles. I like it. I, I, I think he should be. I don't know how that I don't have the roster in front of me, how that all shakes out. But with the defense, with the bat, I think that's exactly what, what where he should be. What I will say is Rutschman catching Mount Castle at first question mark at second. We'll get to some of those guys that could be there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's going to be a free agent at short. Um, I think it's going to be Gunnar Henderson at third, Stowers in left, Mullins in center, Hayes in right. That'd be pretty electric. Yeah. I would like watching on opening day. I'm locked into the Baltimore Orioles. If that's the opening day lineup. Absolutely. And and Stowers for what this team is trying to do. He can help you right away. He should be on the opening day roster. I think he earned that. And again, I think the power is going to continue to trickle in. And I I think the approach is going to keep getting better and better as well. Number eight is another high upside guy who didn't quite have the breakout that a lot of people were were hoping for. But as I mentioned in the write-up, I think he's going to be that classic guy that the breakout comes a year late when people kind of forget that he was the breakout candidate the year before. And it's Kobe Mayo. Kobe Mayo was a high school guy over slot in 2020, signed away from the University of Florida. What has always impressed me the most with Mayo is he's six foot five, 215 pounds. Went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, by the way, same school as Jesus Lizardo, Anthony Rizzo, Colton Welker. It's a pipeline uh, for some really good talent. 6'5", 215 pounds, yet way more advanced of a hitter than you would expect. Yes, he struggled with whiff in 34 games in double-A. But overall, it was pretty crazy to even see him in double-A. He's 20 years old, high school guy. And he got a a really solid taste of double and still produced solid numbers. A 102 WRC plus in a difficult area to hit, a difficult league to hit in. Um yeah, the, the swing and miss was a concern at that level, but you know it's more pitch recognition. He struggled against breaking balls, identifying breaking balls. That's normal for a 20-year-old high school guy at the double A level. But what impresses me with this with this dude, ridiculous power potential, good feel for the barrel, uses the whole field really well. And I don't think anybody expected that from a six foot five high school bat to be as advanced as he is uh, in terms of where he's at as a hitter. What do you dream on when you hear six five lanky third baseman that taps into a lot of power? Like player comp wise? Yeah. What do you dream on? Mm. Like th- there's a guy, six five third baseman that has a beautiful swing like that and just thumps the ball like crazy. Austin Riley? I was thinking second overall to the Cubs out of the University of San Diego. <laughs> Chris like, Bryant? Yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of what you want out of like that lanky third baseman, right? You you want massive, massive pop. And and Mayo, it looked like he was gonna do that. He still could do that. You mentioned 20 years old, climbed to double A, and he had a 19 homer season. This guy, like actually, honest to God, might not be done with puberty yet. And he's already <laughs> playing double A baseball. Um, not nah, so the OPS dropped naturally. It did in in his first taste of of real full season ball. Twenty seven games at Delmarva last year. Um, I think this is one of the better trade ships in all of baseball because I I think this is a guy that you can set such a high ceiling on, but he's so unnecessary for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, that is true. He is extremely unnecessary. I, I, I know Orioles fans are going to be like, why are you trading all our guys as you're talking about him? I promise we won't do that as much as we Because we're getting more that you're Because we're getting to the untouchable blue chippers. Um, I agree. This could be one of the best trade chips because I know teams really like him. I know teams, a lot of teams probably consider him as a top 100 guy. He's not going to be on the top 100 list for the most part, because of the year he had, he just got left off of ours. I think he was one of the key just miss guys. Um, But yeah, I mean, his upside paired with what he's already presently able to do 84% zone contact. And that's including the double a struggles is really encouraging. Uh, It really was just recognition of spin. He crushed fastballs this year. And that that's a thing is like, okay, cool. You can hit fastballs. Can you hit the breaking ball? I get that. But for a big dude, who is facing in double a that's where it's high spin central. That's where you have to really make that jump. He hit those. 
He was able to be short and direct to the ball despite his long levers. That means easy power. Now, can he get better at recognizing spin? That'll come with plate appearances. And he is still so young. Mayo, I'd put a lot of money on being a top 100 prospect by the middle of next year and and well inside of it. Would you put a lot of money on his cards? Yes, but they're already expensive. People, people are people are in on Mayo. People, people, people are on it, man. We got to find really, the deeper cuts. Yeah, you really got to find the deeper cuts. And I don't even think Mayo. I think he's gone down a little bit because of the year. So I would, I might scoop up a couple. But the guy I did scoop up before this year, a lot of, is Connor Norby. Yeah. And Norby checks in at number seven. Yeah, and it, this was a tough one because Mayo's ceiling is way higher. But Norby just put up ridiculous numbers in AAA. Climb three levels. Alec Burleson style, who same school, East Carolina, has the same hitting style of let it eat early in the count, spread out, eliminate the stride with two strikes. That's what Cliff Godwin teaches out there. And it doesn't work for everybody, but if it works for you, you're going to be a phenomenal two-strike hitter. Connor Norby is a phenomenal two-strike hitter. He, similar to Burleson, seemed to just get better at each level. And, and that's why I love kind of, putting those guys in tandem because same college, similar hitting style hit over power, but the power ends up just shining through. There's a lot of similarities between he and Alec Burleson on the offensive side of things. And what I love about Norby lifts the ball easily, really consistent with his ability to get the ball in the air above average exit velos, but squeezes out every bit of his 55 raw power and a really good hitter. And you look at it across each level, 99 WRC plus in high A, 158 WRC plus in 64 games in double A, and then in nine games in triple A, four home runs and hit yeah. 359. Um, all together, 29 bomb- bombs. I mean, to go with 16 stolen bases, this guy's good. And he's very close to big league ready. And you're going to have to find a spot for him in the lineup. And I think going into this year, he will be in Norfolk to open the season. Yes. But he's that understudy. He is the infield understudy. So if somebody goes down, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem going to Connor Norby from Norfolk. So this is a very exciting guy. And much like Alec Burleson, this is somebody that you're just going to enjoy watching. All these ECU guys are very, very fun to watch. And we mentioned the powerhouse, man. Like, on the hill, Gavin Williams. This guy hardly has any flaws in the Guardian system. But you mentioned Burleson. Um, there are a couple other guys. You remember Spencer Brickhouse? He was yeah, great name. He was a beast at ECU. But, you know, th- they turn guys into something that is enjoyable for major league organizations to employ mm-hmm. and Connor Norby is a very low risk and high fun type of guy. What's the reward going to look like? I'm not sure, but there's a chance that he hits 30 bombs for your big league team. That's incredibly exciting. Yeah. I mean, and the crazy thing about it is when you look at, at what he is able to produce as a six foot 180 pound second baseman, yeah. the power that he taps into it's pretty effortless. And that's why I fell in love with him as a draft prospect, looking at almost a minimal stride, even early in the count, a swing that is so geared to easy lift. He naturally backspins the baseball. It's power that is very believable that you're going to see translate at the big league level with with the big league baseballs too. That I think he's another guy that's just that carry. You can't teach it. It's very hard to teach. It's line drives that just seem like they're rising as they go. And we saw him hit balls 444 feet this year, man. Like this guy's got some juice on top of the bat to ball skills that he has. He's a good defender at second, at least an average runner. I think he's slightly above that good approach. Only going to get better. 
What's amazing is I don't know where he fits in because Jordan Westberg, we're going to get to in a minute, is also knocking on the door with more AAA experience as well and can play second base also among shortstop, third base, and other spots as well. Norby is one of my favorite and safest offensive prospects in baseball, and I think he's going to put up some crazy numbers in AAA and force his way up there. He's a super easy watch, and you talk about guys that hit beyond their years. Um, I, I think that is exactly what Quanter Norby does. Like he, yeah. he does not seem like a prospect. He seems like a 26 year old that, you know, is too good for triple, uh, maybe struggling when he gets to the big leagues. That that's what he is right now, even though he has nine games of triple A experience. So there is a chance that he plays a month of triple A ball. And we're saying he's too good for triple A baseball. That's, like I think he, that's exactly what's going to happen. I literally yeah. think that's exactly what's going to happen. Last 70 games of the year. 308, 388, 599 slash line, 21 homers in 70 games. Oh my Nin- gosh. 19% strikeout rate. We're talking about a second baseman here. Oh my gosh. 24% chase rate, 82% okay. zone contact, great swing decisions, crushes everything. We got to do that dive. Dudes with, in the minor leagues, dudes with more homers than their strikeout percentage. Than their than their <laughs> K rate. How about that, right? right? So Norby, you mentioned twenty one homers, nineteen percent K rate. I want to know guys like that in seventy games, which makes it even harder to do. Yeah. He hit three. He had a twelve hundred OPS against fastballs in that span. He had a seven nineteen OPS against sliders. I, like it's it's and then against curveballs, one thousand OPS. So you can find breaking oh. balls just just a money there. He's going to be a problem, man. I, I I there's a reason why he's in our top one hundred list, and the only reason why he's not higher on this Orioles list is that the six guys ahead of him are also top 100 prospects. And Jordan Westberg is the next one who he gets the nod as a top 100 guy uh, or as a guy that's just marginally ahead of Norby because of the positional versatility, because of the athleticism and because he did it in AAA a little bit longer. Uh, But honestly, these guys are close. And if Norby ended up being the more consistently productive big leaguer, I wouldn't be shocked. But if we're talking from an F4 perspective, which is what I'm always looking at, Westberg's going to be either playing you a really good third base, a a solid shortstop or an elite second base. He's faster. I think the power's a little bit more visible, but I think Norby gets more out of his power. But I mean, Westberg last year was fantastic as well. And just another guy that combines above average power with above average hit tool to get the most out of that power. And he just got a little bit more going for him uh, around his other aspects of the game as well. This is my pick to be the opening day second baseman for the Orioles. I, I think Jordan Westberg should be the guy to to start at second base. Um, he spent the majority of the year in AAA. Against lefties, he had an 830 OPS. Against righties, he had an 890 OPS. Where's the weakness here? I'm okay if the OPS is 60 points lower against lefties. And you don't see as many lefties as you do righties here. You mentioned the defense. Great. This guy has such a quiet swing. It's so fun to watch. Like, I... There are some YouTube guys for me where I yeah. can just like queue them up on YouTube. And Jordan Westberg is a YouTube guy. Grayson Rodriguez, who we're going to get to, is a YouTube guy for me. But but oh, yeah. Jordan Westberg is is a sneaky YouTube guy, um, oh. much like Jordan Walker, where it's just oh. here's the bat and then the ball goes. That was back. Norby for me. I was like, I, that's all I need to see. I mean, I didn't even need to see him in person. Speaking of seeing in person, though, did I ever tell you the story about the first time I saw Westberg? Was he on the Cape? Yeah. So he was on the Cape. And he got there a little late because he was one of the finalists for Team USA, eventually got cut uh, and was one of the last guys that did not. Who the hell unseated him? 
I have no idea. I think a better question would be who, who made the decision that said Westberg shows up and it's his first game on the Cape. And, you know, maybe some guys would be like, Oh, like, here we go. And the Cape is awesome. But if you're expecting to go on team USA, you're probably not over the moon to be on the Cape. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking to the other broadcaster before the game. I mean, it was Hyannis. They were, you know, Hyannis Harper Hawks are never good. Yeah. And he's like, this is our, this is a big, big get for us. He's a, he's a dude, like really solid. I looked at his college stats. I'm like, okay, this guy can play. First pitch he sees, line shot 410 straight out to left center. I'm like, holy crap. There we go. Next at bat, does it again. And, I, and it was effortless. And I'm like, okay, this guy's this guy's different. And I kind of followed him the rest of the way. He goes 30th overall in the draft to, to the Orioles. He's one of my favorite dark horses in the draft, or at least underrated guys. I thought he, I would have taken him earlier even. Uh, but that was an early spot to nab him. And he has not disappointed at any stop. Really good approach. Another guy with a low chase rate palatable contact rates, gets the ball in the air enough, obviously walks. He's going to combine. I think he can be a 2020 threat. Uh, he's got to be a little bit more efficient with the base stealing, but even if he's a 10 to 15 stolen base guy, he's going to give you the power. He's going to hit enough. He's going to get on base. He has defensive versatility. This is another really high floor, big league potential bat here. I, I hate to be physiquist. Like I, I hate to ding Norby on, on the physique, on the build, but Westberg's 6'3". Norby's and more like, athletic, dude, and more athletic. Yeah, and and Norby's six foot on his best day. Like yeah. that's the thing. This guy just screams smooth athlete ball player a little bit more than Connor Norby does. Yep. Feels like Norby. It's going to be higher effort to to maximize what he can do versus Westbrook, like or Westberg, yeah. not, not Russ. Uh, I I do think Westberg can just tap into that athleticism if if everything goes to shit on a given yep. night. You know what I mean? Because absolutely even if he even if he punches out three times, four times, he can still give you a really solid smooth defense at second base. And, and, or it's short if you need or, it or third. Yeah. yeah. So I mean there's a lot of different ways he can impact the game. A lot more pressure on the bat for Norby though, I believe in that bat big time. Number five, guy that we've talked about plenty, DL Hall, left-handed pitching prospect, of course. <laughs> Like this guy's it's almost over. We don't need to talk about DL Hall very much once he pitches next year, because in my rule, if you make big league appearances in two different seasons, you're graduated from our prospect list. DL Hall will do that. I think he'll be on the opening day roster. We, we've talked a little bit about the way they've handled him. We don't have to rehash too much of it, but I think some of it might have just been innings management. Some of it was a team trying to make the playoffs, but DL Hall makes a start at the big league level, maybe makes a couple struggled with the command has always struggled with command. That's always been the question. Stuff-wise, he's got some of the best stuff in the minor leagues. 70-grade fastball, 60-grade slider, above-average changeup, above-average curveball. Like he, He's disgusting, but the command is, is bad. He was good out of, the, out of the pen for them. He was. He was really solid. A couple, one or two bad outings overall, but really, really good out of the pen for them. I, I think they're going to try him as a starter. They don't have much of a choice, but man, I, I'm, I'm starting to lose confidence in the command. And that's why he's lower on our list than probably most others. I just don't want DL Hall to be a what if guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I don't want him to be uh, imagine if he had the pitch economy um, best case scenario at this time, he turns into Lance McCullers, right? He's, he's always near the top of major league baseball and free passes issued, but the stuff is gross enough to get him through 150 innings, 160 innings on an annual basis. And I think D.L. Hall can do that. Problem is, Lance McCullers can, like, navigate his way through treacherous waters in a given start. D.L. Hall, like, there are times where he toes the rubber 
in AAA, and you can see it in the ERA. In AA, you can see it in the ERA. He has no idea where the baseball is going when it leaves his hand. And that's really what frustrates me because he has the world at his fingertips and multi, multi-million dollar stuff at his fingertips. But the question is, where is it going to go when it leaves his fingertips? I can't tell you. Hall can't tell you. If he can figure that out, he can become an elite starter. If he can't, he's a bullpen arm. That's the thing is he doesn't even have to really hit his spots. Like no. his his fastball is 18 plus inches of induced vertical break in the mid upper 90s, can touch triple digits. If he misses middle middle, he still probably beat guys. Dude, if he hangs dude. a breaking ball, he'll still probably beat guys. Like just throw it in the strike zone and you'll be in pretty good shape. Do the Glassnow thing. Kyle Snyder told Glassnow's catchers to set up middle middle and let your natural misses take him to the corners. And like, I think if DL Hall just shot middle middle each time, it's going to end up in six different spots in a six pitch at bat. And that's going to be good because they're all going to be relatively close to the strike zone. So I, just to put things in perspective metrically before we move on to the next guy, we'll give you the in zone whiff rates. So basically you could just, if you flip the number around, right? If you subtract from a hundred, you'd have zone contact. But I think for pitchers, I like giving in zone whiff. Yeah. In zone whiff on his fastball. And this is combined with the big leagues and the minor leagues this year. 28.6% in zone whiff rate average would be like 15, 16%. Yeah. So simply put of the fastballs that he threw in the strike zone, hitters swung and missed 28% of the time. Correct. Which is elite. Elite. That's incredible. Change up, which he threw 23% of the time. So this is a pretty large sample size. It's a great pitch. 48% oh in zone God. whiff. You don't have a shot. You don't have a shot. Like one out of every two swings at pitches thrown in the strike zone when they're changeups are whiffs. Coin flip whiff if it's in the zone. No one's got a shot. Slider, 31%. Curveball, 23%. That's four potentially plus pitches. What is what is average MLB zone contact? Like I think 80. right around 80, 80%. I mean, so you're looking at 20%, right? Like among all pitches, change up 48%. And fastball, I would say it's generally like, you know, yeah, 10, like 10, 15. So that just puts in perspective how elite his stuff is. Some of the best stuff in the minor leagues, just please, 35, 40 grade command, he's fine. (laughs) That's all all he needs. But it's at a 30 right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And like, that's generous, to be honest. It is. Number four. And this was a tough one. I am always going to be like, I'm not going to say lower. I like to see more of the draft guys before I put them over the guys that are proven. So four is Jackson holiday, who I'm ready to shoot him up though. The the limited video limited looks because he didn't play that much this year, but Holy crap. Did he look good in just the limited video? I was able to see Jackson holiday. First overall pick in this past draft potential five tool player, 18 years old, left-handed bat. He, he, he reminds me a lot of Bobby Witt but I would say maybe a little bit more polished of a hitter and maybe a little bit less explosive of an athlete, but still has that five tool upside. He only played 12 games in low a, but in those 12 games looks really comfortable. Uh, And the eight games in the complex, same thing looks really comfortable. His swings, beautiful. His glove is great at shortstop, a lot better than I thought it would be. And there is just so much to like about his game. And of course he's got the bloodlines as well. Yeah, so I I needed to bust out the iPhone calculator just to make sure I had his high school OPS right this past year. 41 games, he hit 685 with a, wait for it, 
2141 OPS. He slashed 685, 749, 1392. That's not an OPS. His slugging was 1392 in high school. Wow. Um, Right? Crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so he is, yeah. So like he's the greatest high school baseball player ever. And that's why he (laughs) went first overall. Um, yes, his dad is Matt Holiday. Congratulations to Matt Holiday, the new bench coach of the St. Louis Cardinals. That's fun. Um, yeah, I'm with you, man. Like the three guys ahead of him on this list, I like how you stacked it. I do like how you stacked it because if Jackson Holiday tears it up for a month of full season ball and gets the bump to high A and continues to tear it up. Like when, when Gunner and G rod graduate, he's the top prospect in the Orioles system. He's a top yeah. 20 prospect in baseball. So I, this is a temporary spot for him. I do like that. You have him behind number three. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I'll say on, on holiday is big projection. Like he's still got a lot of room to fill out in his frame. We talk about the baby face. Uh, he's he's going to get more physical. And when he gets more physical, I think we're going to see plus power already popped to 105 mile per hour exit velo, which for an 18 year old is, is very solid. I think he's going to have plus power in the tank. You alluded to number three. Hold and on. The reason why we have number three ahead is, is what he's already shown, but also he was one of my favorite bats out of his draft class Hold in on. 2021. Hold on. Hold on. Before we move on, Jackson Holiday or Drew Jones? Oh, didn't we do this before? Uh, did we? It's tough, man. The glove is so freaking good with Drew Jones, but Jackson Holiday is more polished in terms of the bat. Like, there's there's some things that Drew Jones needs to work out with his swing. Man, that's so tough. Okay, hold on. I'll let you think because I think these are going to be easier answers. Jackson Holiday or Marcelo Meyer? Who would Jackson you rather Holiday. have in your Jackson Holiday. Jackson Holiday. Holiday or Lawler? Oh, Lawler. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. Uh, all right, Holiday or Drew Jones? <clears throat> Don't think, just answer. Drew Jones. Okay, fair. Let's I'll take on. the floor of a gold glove center fielder, which is literally his floor. Um, God, I hate that. Uh, all right, number three. Colton Kowser, outfield prospect, of course, just had a phenomenal year. I I loved the, another one where it's just the swing was just just so advanced out of college, and you know the competition was a question like Sam Houston State, right? Uh, yeah. But you know I I saw enough where where I looked at swing, I was like, this swing is so far along, and I look at his frame, six three. I think at the draft time he was one eighty five, one eighty. He's put on some muscle since then. I'm like, okay, so this guy's already an advanced hitter and he's going to grow into more physical strength and is an above average runner. I looked at, I was like, this is Brandon Nemo with more upside power wise, right? Like, of course we, we got to see him hit enough to be Brandon Nemo, yeah. but in terms of the power physicality, he's just going to be stronger. His frame is, is, is more built for, for power. And I saw the Brandon Nimmo comp like right away. That's what screamed to me because of Kowser's phenomenal approach, his bat to ball skills and the physical projection here. I mean, Kowser's season was fantastic and he was everything I was hoping he would be and more. And at 22 years old, reaches AAA, worked through some swing and miss issues right when he got there and then got better and finished strong. 
17% chase rate, man. Like he doesn't expand the zone. Another 80 plus percent zone contact guy. Another dude that flashed some really exciting power. You'll get the 90th percentile at 103.5. It's you know comfortably above average. He flashed 109, you know, 110 on the exit velo department. He's got juice that he's still learning to tap into consistently. He can play center field. I, there's so much to like here with Colton Kowser. There's a ton to like. Uh, another thing, massive into Legos, which we've talked about. But Kowser is a smooth, smooth dude. He's going to start in Norfolk. I could absolutely see Kowser moving up, displacing Mullins in center and putting him in a corner. Although I could also see Kowser in left. What do you think? You think Kowser in left? See how, see how Stowers is doing. Stowers is going to get the look. They're going to give you know Kowser some more time in triple. Yeah. Um, and if you're wondering why Kowser's ahead of Holiday, it's because Kowser's a top 25 prospect for us. Um, he made, I believe it was... If you combine them all, it was 41 appearances in high A, 37 in double A, 16 in triple. So that's a lot of appearances in center field. That's a lot of appearances in center field. So he's comfortable out there. He's fast. His reads are continuing to get better. He covers ground with those long strides pretty well. So if Stowers struggles, I think we see him go to left. If Mullins is not, you know, really regaining that, that form that we saw in 2020, you know, or 2021, excuse me, then maybe we see him, you know, potentially get moved or, or they, they displace him with a Kowser. I'm very fascinated to see how they handle this because these are guys that I, I think I am as high on as anybody uh, in terms of like some of my favorite prospects in baseball are in this system. And Kowser is one of them. Swing and miss was a little bit of a surprise as he got to the upper levels. And I think that was mostly due to his struggles against lefties. If you'll get the numbers against righties, phenomenal really struggled against lefties. That might be something that always plagues him. He just might be one of those guys. That's okay. You shelter him from those lefties and he's going to be a really, really, really consistent hitter. Numbers against righties, 307, 432, 530 slash line with a 25% K rate, 16% walk rate. That'll play. Doubles and walks, baby. Doubles and walks. 36 doubles, 94 walks in 138 games. I'll take double. I would love a 40 double guy, especially with the threat for 20 bags. And I will take an 100 walk guy over two, over 162 games. I think that is awesome. So Sounds he's like got Brandon Nimmo. Uh, it does. I think if, if he's got that type of plate discipline, he was a 400 OBP guy across all those levels. Naturally, you expect that to dip. But what's he going to dip to? 370? I'll take a 370, 380 OBP guy with 40 doubles at his peak uh, any day of the week in my outfield especially in center field and, and especially just with what, what his upside still is. He could be a guy that doesn't grow into his power until three, four, five years in kind of like Yelich, but that's a guy that you're always going to be looking up, you know, and and seeing what kind of upside he has and and getting excited about that. Cause I don't think he's going to hit his ceiling anytime soon. And is already tapping into so much production. He's kind of got that Yelich build too, right? Yeah. Like six three, tall. Looks like he can fill out a little bit more, but athletic too. Yeah. Athletic wiry. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Top two guys, guys we've talked about a lot, so we don't have to spend like way too much time, but more, I think we should focus on, on what their, what our expectations are for them going into next year for 2023. Yeah. Cause we, we've talked about their ceiling all the time, all the time, all the time. So we don't need to rehash it too much. All I'll say is, you know, G-Rod coming back at the end of the year was, was huge for, for the 2023 outlook, right. To, to come back together, some good starts, Look like G-Rod. Velo was there. Stuff was there. Command was mostly there once he got you know comfortable again. 
he's right back on track uh, to, to being what we thought opponents at 176 against him in 17 starts last last year, 513 OPS. He struck out 36.6% of batters in zone whiff again, 29% in zone whiff on the fastball. 30% on the changeup, which I think is the best changeup in the minor leagues. Slider's still coming along. Curveball is, is probably a little bit further along, and he mixes in a cutter. He just has such a ridiculous arsenal. He's so special, and I, I don't know how they're going to handle him. I assume they're going to want to build him up again a little bit, so I, I'd expect a month or two in triple, get that extra year of control anyways. I think it's a justifiable move anyways, and then ultimately, he'll get that call up in, in May or June. So if... <laughs> If if anybody plays road to the show as a pitcher, let me know because I everybody I know uh, plays as a hitter in road to the show because yeah. hitting is just so much better. But if you were to build like a road to the show guy, if you were to build a creative player pitching wise, it's Grayson Rodriguez yeah. and, and put it at rookie level. Like every pitch is good. Every pitch is hard. Every pitch has bite. Every pitch is good. Um, He's 6'5", 220. <laughs> yeah, like the, that's the perfect build, right? I mean, the, he is you create a pitcher in a lab and it looks like Grayson Rodriguez. That's why I think he hits the ground running with immediate success. And, and I'm not saying like Cy Young candidate. I'm not even saying all-star, but um, it means is back from Tommy John this year at some point. Right. I think, I think yeah. we'll be looking at the end of year numbers and I think we'll see John means was, you know, the best Orioles pitcher. Um, and then I think it's Grayson Rodriguez and you fill it with everybody else. And if Baltimore does do what we think they can do, and that's contend for a wild card spot, I do think the Grayson Rodriguez starts one of the games in a wild card series for them. So tell me if he does better or worse than this before we move on to Gunner. 130 innings, 339 ERA, 9.2 Ks per nine, 299 FIP. Slightly better. So that would be slightly better than George Kirby this year. And that's exactly what I think he's going to do. Wait, what was the ERA for Kirby? Three three nine. Oh, there was a late there was a late ambush on him, huh? Yeah. Two nine nine FIP though. Yeah. No, he's he's gonna have a better year than Kirby. And it puts it in perspective because Kirby was a key part of what they did this year and making that like, playoff push. Kirby Grayson, was one of the first out on the rookie of the year candidacy. Grayson's gonna be one of my favorite rookie of the year guys, even if he doesn't make the opening day, you know, roster, which I don't think he will just for building up purposes, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did one of my favorite rookie of the year candidates. And what's funny is very similar to the, to the brave situation. This guy could be competing against him, right? Because he does not lose his rookie eligibility. It's Gunnar Henderson, right? He doesn't lose his rookie eligibility after last year. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think he does. That's usually something, you know, more than me. Uh, Why? Cause I love the awards. (laughs) Yeah, well, you just love all the like weird rules. I'm 132 all plate appearances. What is it usually? Is it 150? Rookie status still intact through 2023. You know how I found that out? Baseball reference. There you go. So it's going to be, I think this is going to be Michael Harris, Spencer Strider-esque here in a lot of ways. Gunner's obviously cracking the opening day roster. Gunner's obviously somebody we talked a lot about when we talked about the top prospects in baseball because he's our number two prospect in baseball. This guy had a point eight F4 in 34 games when he debuted. Yeah. I mean, which is incredible. A 125 WRC plus. I almost want to say screw it on the shortstop. Put him there. I was I, I was impressed with the glove in the minors. Everything I watched, the the strides that he has made there, how his feet still work there. You know, he's he actually does move really well. His arm is great. He was pretty solid. We only saw 48 innings there. If you go by advanced stats, small sample, one defensive run saved. Uh 
So if he was a, a bad, it would have been evident even in that small sample. And then he was good at third and he was fine at second. Honestly, he was more of a liability at second than anywhere else in terms of the advanced metrics. I think he can play shortstop every single day and above average clip at the big league level. And he's only going to get better. I want to see him at short, especially with the log jam that they have in other spots. I know they want to compete. I get it. But this could be your your face of the franchise kind of guy right along with Adley. And I want to see him every day at shortstop because I think he's capable of doing it. Put Westberg at third. I, that's what I would want to do. I know that Orioles fans probably want that $300 million guy. But what we saw in 34 games last year, on top of what I already saw in the minor leagues, I'm sold. And I want to see this guy at shortstop every day. So I said it with Peter on the Just Baseball show. I don't know if I don't know if you're keyed in on this, but I'm pounding the pavement for Xander Bogarts to be a Baltimore Oriole. I think it makes perfect, perfect sense. It's going to cost about $180 million, I think. He's going to be under the $200 million threshold. So you save $100 million. And I think that Bogarts um, can be the shortstop. Gunnar Henderson, 24 of his 34 games came at third base last mm-hmm. year. I think Gunnar Henderson, much like what the Orioles did with Manny Machado, shortstop, turned to the best third baseman in baseball. I don't think that Gunnar is the best third baseman in baseball, but I, I think that Gunnar immediately becomes an everyday third baseman and a damn good one defensively and we know sure as hell offensively. And I think you you pair that left side with Gunnar, who's got great range at third, and Xander Bogarts, who we know improved as a defensive shortstop, and you have one of the best left side of the infields in all of baseball. Look, I, it's hard. I can't say no to 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 that, right? I can't say no to Xander Bogarts alongside, you know, somebody like Gunnar Henderson along with the rest of the infield that they're going to have, and and that could legitimately put them over the top. I just want to see this guy at short every day, man. I, I really know, do. But I, I get, get it. it. I get it from a team perspective. This is just me being the prospect guy that wants to see, you know, what it looks like. That said. With his skill set, he could be an elite third baseman as he gets more comfortable with just the the nuances of the position, the footwork, you know, the, just just the instincts at third, a spot that he, he's played a little bit more of each year. I think he could be elite there. So if he does blossom into an elite defensive third baseman, it's a lot more justifiable. If he's kind of comparable at third and short, I'd rather see him every day at short. But at the end of the day, the bat is is the big value point here. It's really good. He's going to steal bags. He's going to do a lot of things that impact the game consistently offensively and also just with the power. So either way, Gunner's going to be a big part of what they're doing and a rookie of the year favorite next year. I'm all the way in. He's going to be playing every day on the left side of the infield. I think it's really just whether it's short or third, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I want to see him at third. You want to see him at short. Regardless of where he is, I don't think that impacts the bat much. And no. this was a, a 13% walk rate guy in his in his first taste of Major League Baseball. Unbelievable. 12%. 12%, 26% K rate, average exit velocity of 92 and a half miles an hour. This guy's going to hammer the shit out of baseballs for years, and it's going to be really, really fun. One last note before we wrap it up on Gunner. What do you think the furthest home run he hit this season was? And this came in, I believe it was in May. So I saw this when I was editing the, the top 10 that's, again, going to be live on JustBaseball.com when you're listening to this. 480? 480. That is, I I said it in the car. I was with a bunch of people coming back from Ball State and Toledo. Really tough loss. Carson Steele, 198 rushing yards. Great. Maction buy-in. But I was in the car with three other people, and, and they're all pretty big baseball fans. And I said, you guys know Gunner hit a ball 480 feet this year? And they were like, you're kidding me. 
this is what arm said in the (laughs) write-up like i can't believe that 480 it was a slider 85 from noah davis from who noah davis oh in uh in chattanooga i think so wow noah davis santa barbara guy reds farmhand noah davis has good stuff yeah (laughs) that ball got sent to the moon yeah that one wasn't that just shows you what kind of power he has and oh yeah he's 21 years old so That'll do it for the Baltimore Orioles system. Again, we're going to be doing these just about every single week as I hammer out each of the top tens uh, for the end of season updates for each team top 10 prospect list. We're going to do a lot of rule five discussion too, as I think November 16th is the deadline to finalize the 40 man rosters. So that'll be a lot of fun as well. This is a really good system. The future is bright in Baltimore. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're just finding us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast. It's the call up available on all platforms. If you're listening, check out the article, check out the YouTube as well. We'll be doing more player interviews and stuff like that moving forward as we go through this off season. Any final thoughts on the O system, Jack? Uh, None on the O system. I said it once on the Just Baseball Show. I'm not going to say it again. I'm going to say it once on the call up and I'm not going to say it again. We somehow, because we're sick idiots, have more fun during the off season oh, yeah. during baseball's like season of actually playing because we get to allocate all of our time instead of watching games. We get to allocate all of our time to, to looking into the hypotheticals and, and diving into um, you know, like you, you dive into more video than anybody I've ever seen baseball wise. Um, I love doing the, the contracting. Like I spend more time on spot track during the winter months mm-hmm. than any other website. Like I spend more time on spot track than I do checking my email. So I'm very excited to, to contribute some of that. Um, and I'm really excited to keep on talking prospects. Absolutely, man. It's going to be a lot of fun this off season. Uh, we will talk to you early next week. Keep an eye out for some pretty exciting player interviews. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.